So, uh, I am going to do my very best to deliver this. I'm just praying that God will get out of the way because I feel like what God has for us is really, really powerful. Um, it's just going to be the only encumbrance is going to be me. So let's pray that that's not the case. All right. So last week in our message, which was called, "We, um, which picture are you? Okay. What we were doing is God was showing to us and revealing to us, talking to us about our level of dependence in our lives. Where's our dependence? Is it upon God or is it upon is it upon man? And he did it through two biblical pictures that he revealed to us in Joshua chapter 18, verse number 7. The first being the Levites. Now he showed us the Levites, and these were a selected body, a selected people that were to minister to God by taking care of the tabernacle, as well as they were to minister to the people as representatives of God. The Levites had distinguished themselves amongst their brethren by their commitment to their Lord and their surrender of their lives to his service. Now, if you think about it, that's a lot of what God's called us to, right? Are we not called to serve the Lord? We're called to surrender our lives for the service of God. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto him, which it says, which is your reasonable service. So God intends that we would serve him. We're also supposed to make ourselves available to minister to others. This is one of the things God has for us. Philippians 2, 13 says this, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God's plan for reaching this hurting world, this broken world that's around us, is the body of Christ. It's us. It's the church. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 17 through 20 says this, Therefore, if any man be, a, be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This is referencing born-again believers. <laughs> Verse 18, he says this, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Saying, hey, guess what? I've given you a ministry. It is to reconcile people. Verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them uh, by way of Christ on the cross, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So he's given us a ministry, and he's given us a word. Then verse 20 says this, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Paul gets very clear. He goes, hey, look, you guys are representatives to this broken world. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Here's the message that Jesus wants us to deliver to the world. Be ye reconciled to God. So, but in order to fulfill this role, we must be surrendered to the Lord. We must be dependent upon him to supply our needs. The problem is many times we don't do this. Right? In order for us to fulfill what God's given us to do, we are to set our hearts on things to come. We're to set our hearts and our affections upon, upon heavenly things as opposed to the things of the world. The wicked world that we're around, it constantly has our attention. It constantly draws our hearts. Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2 says this, If ye then be risen with Christ, you are born again. Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Okay? So if we get our eyes here, we're going to be off course. If we set our eyes here, we'll be on course. Okay? So then we contrasted the Levites to the other people that were listed in Joshua chapter 18, verse 7. And it was the two and a half tribes of the eastern province, or the, the eastern tribes, that had chosen to make their, their home or their inheritance in the wilderness. They had chosen to be outside of God's will. So what they were willing to do was forego what God had for them in order to get what it was that they thought was best for them. So what this mirrors for us, or what this showed us, is really a picture of modern-day Christianity. People that have a desire, hey, listen, I, God, I want to serve you, but I want to serve you on my terms. right? I, I will serve God at my 
good pleasure. But what does the Bible clearly says in Philippians 2.13? For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. But what we have is a modern-day society or a Christianity where people are going, listen, you know, I'll serve you, Lord, if it fits into my schedule. I'll serve you, Lord, if it's convenient for me. I'll serve you, Lord, if it doesn't put me out in any way, shape, or, or form. These are people that are led by their selfish desires. These are people, listen, that have set their affection on things on the earth. The things of the world have their hearts. And by, because of that, they have, will, are willing to forego who it is that God has called them to be and the work that he's called them to fulfill. Philippians, uh, or 1 Peter 1, verse 14 and 16 says this, As obedient children, not fashion yourselves according to the former lust, not who you used to be in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. This is God's call to us. Verse 16, because it is written, he's referencing back to the Old Testament, Leviticus 20, verse 7, he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. This is God's call. God's saying, hey, listen, this is what I created you for. I created you for a love relationship with me, and I want you to be holy so that we can have this beautiful, beautiful fellowship. And as so, and so after evaluating ourselves and determining who it is that the Lord intends for us to be and who it is He intends for us to serve, today what we're going to do is we're going to move over from instructions to actual application as we're going to see this now uh, implementation of the instructions in our message this morning, which is entitled Making Right Divisions. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of life. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to bring your word to your people, Lord. And I do pray, Father, that you'd help me to get out of the way. You know my desire, Lord, is not to be heard. This is not about me. This is about you. It's about them. It's about, it's about the hearts of men and women being drawn to the truth of your word. So, Lord, I do pray that you would remove the human element of this message, God, that I would not impede it in any way. Lord, I know that you've spoken to me, and I'm asking you now that you would speak through me to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua 18, verses 8 through 10. It says, And the men arose and went away, and Joshua charged them and went to describe the land, saying, Go and walk through the land and describe it, and come again to me, that I may here cast lots for you before the Lord in Shiloh. And the men went and passed through the land and described it by cities into seven parts in a book, and came again to Joshua to the host of Shiloh. And it says here, And Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land under the children of Israel according to their divisions. So this morning what we're going to notice is we're going to notice that there's a shift in Joshua's message. Before he was addressing Israel as a whole, he was communicating more of a global message. And he was talking about what was going to be the moving as they were going to move forward. This is how this process is going to work out. That's in verses 3 through 6. But what we'll notice is now it's going to shift from being more of a national message to being more of a personal message. He is now going to address those 21 men that were specifically chosen out to fulfill the job of dividing the land. And what we'll see this morning with the 21 is, first of all, them being instructed. Then we'll see them receiving promises. Then we'll see them fulfilling their responsibility. Then receiving their inheritance. And the result will be God's will is being accomplished. So let's first consider Joshua's instructions as they, as they move forward. So we see a transition in the speech. We see here it's becoming much more about speaking specifically to this small group of individuals. What we'll notice is the fact that in order for Joshua to be effective and making certain that there's no misunderstanding with these men, he's going to go back and he's going to reiterate his instructions to them. He's going to make certain that they clearly understand what his expectations are. So verse number, our first point is this, being instructed, the first 21. And verse 8 says this, 
And the men arose and went away, and Joshua charged them that went to describe the land, saying, Go and walk through the land to describe it, and come again to me. And so after hearing Joshua's instructions, what we can see is that the seven tribes have selected their three men, right? That was their job. They were supposed to select three men from each tribe. They were going to send those guys out to go search land. So obviously they have done that. Their representatives are here. And what we see is it appears that they've already gotten them together, and these guys are already marching off to go do their job. They're heading out. Because verse 8 says, And the men arose and went away. So Joshua seems to be calling out to them as they're all kind of like walking off. He's like, Hey, fellas! It says here he's charging them, right? He's kind of calling out. And he says right here, And Joshua charged them and went to dis- that, that went to describe the land. So literally, they're going to describe the land, saying, as he's calling out to them, Go and walk through the land and describe it. Remember, this is your job. And come again to me. Joshua not only is reiterating the instructions to make sure there's no misinformation, but also reinforcing this group's accountability that they are to return back to him as their leader. Notice it says, And come again to me. Now, with each of these tribes, each of these men, there would have most certainly been a loyalty to their tribal leaders. What Joshua is trying to tell them is, listen, though there is loyalty there, ultimately, what I'm trying to tell you is that your ultimate accountability will be back here with me. Now, it's not because Joshua is something special. It's because of Joshua's role. Joshua's called and, and is, is appointed the leader of the people. Now, this is a principle that God teaches, also teaches us in the church age. The idea of those that are in a leadership role. Notice this in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through 18. It says, let the elders that rule well. Now, this is an important point. Notice it says rule well. These are people that are doing things according to God's will. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine, those that are being given to teach. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. That's Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. People hear that and they go, what in the world is that guy talking about? Why are there even oxen involved? What this means is, what, now when, when you hook an oxen, they used to have these grinding wheels, right? And they had this, this pole that they would put in, and that thing would grind corn. And they would hook the oxen up to it, and the oxen would pull, and he would carry the weight. So he was doing this important job. What he's saying is, you don't muzzle his mouth. You don't not give him food and don't give him water, but expect him to work. Because right. he's doing a good work. Guess what you do? You provide for him. Notice the next part of this verse. He says this, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. So men and women who are faithfully fulfilling their leadership role should be properly reverenced and honored for the service that they are ministering and fulfilling, not because there's something special. Again, this is not about the individual, but it's about the one that they represent, about the one that has called them to the job that they're to do. Again, on, this, on another level in regards to this reverence, let's take it and let's make it now tied to Christ. Remember, that Jesus or that Joshua is a model. He is a picture. He is a type of Christ. It is the Hebrew rendering. In Greek, when we see Jesus rendered, that's the translation of the Greek rendering of it. But when we go into the Hebrew, the rendering is going to be Joshua. So Joshua and Jesus are the same name. And so here we have this representation through Joshua who's saying, listen, you're going to be accountable to me. And what it's pointing is to you and I is our accountability to our Savior. Recognize that all of us, no matter who we are, believer or non-believer, we're all ultimately going to be accountable to God. And there will come a day when all of humanity will be called by the Lord, the King of Kings, and He'll say something like this, come again to me. You're going to come and you're going to answer to me. And there will come a judgment. Now, there'll be two separate ones, but there will become a judgment where every single part of humanity is going to stand ultimately before the King of Kings. And guess what? The judge of the earth will judge all of mankind. And so what we see in this interaction between Joshua 
And the 21 is the fact that this message has become personal. This larger message has now become much more individual for these men. And see, this is a beautiful thing because what this references for us or shows us is the wonderful fact of God can take his word, which is written to all of humanity, and yet make it incredibly personal for us. How many of you have ever read the word of God and just feel like God's just talking directly to you? Yeah. Sometimes in preaching, right? We're sitting in a message and in preaching, you're like, oh, gosh, man, they've got it. they're bugging my house. <laughs> I don't know how they know what's going on in our life. That's not right. I've got to talk to that guy. What do they got going on? It becomes incredibly personal. And here we see God taking a global concept or a universal idea and taking it down to a personal one that speaks through his word to us. And it's his personal approach through his word that reveals to us the fact that God is merciful, that God is caring. And listen, as his children, we learn that God's not some creature or some, some deity up on a mountain up in the sky that we're to be fearful of, but he is, in fact, a personal God who loves us who's patient, who's merciful, whose ultimate goal is always restoration. How many of us are living a testament to the fact that God is a God of restoration? My goodness, some of us have been so broken, and yet God gathered all those little pieces, the little tiny little pieces, and he gathered them all back together. And he restored us and made us better than we were before. And then one day he showed us that the pain that broke us was actually something that he could use for the future that we could help other people. Amen. How beautiful. Again, that's God's, that's God's heart. So God, through Joshua, is entrusting these men to do, to do his will. He's made it personal. He's provided clear instructions, and he's given his expectations. And see, this is what God does for us through his word, yeah. right? Clear instructions, speaking to us individually, instructing us clearly, establishing his expectations Definitively, I know what God's expectation of me. It's clear and easy to define. And like these 21 who've been sent out to divide the land, if we'll simply do what he instructs us to do, you know what? There will be rewards to follow. And this brings us to our second point in regards to the 21. We see them receiving promises. Verse 8 continues, That I may here cast lots for you before the Lord in Shiloh. Notice the pronoun that's used here. Again, this has become personal. He says, now, cast lots for you. Again, we see these, this, this promise taken from a national application down to a personal one. And isn't it glorious that the Lord allows you and I to go to his word and find promises that are specifically to us? Yeah. That I can take and go, wow, you know what? I'm going to hold on to that one right there. Because you know, when I find myself in a black, dark pit, buddy, that one right there is going to help me out. Buddy, the Word of God, man, we hide the Word of God, the heart, the hide of God, the Word of God in our heart that we might not sin against Him. We want God to guide and direct our lives. And so, what we see in this, through the promise of their inheritance, was a broad tribal pledge from the Lord. It would also apply to them on a personal level, because guess what? Each one of them, as this thing is being uh, being doled out, as the inheritance is going to be given to the to the tribe, it's also individually going to be given to them, because each family is going to receive a parcel of the land. And so as God's written his word to a spectrum of humanity, it's important to understand that there is a personal application of Scripture to very broad truths that God's communicating. Now, what we need to understand is in Scripture, there are three audiences that God's writing to. Okay, there's three audiences. There's going to be the Jews, there's going to be the Gentiles, and there's going to be the church. Now, it's important to understand who it is that he's talking to, specifically these 
three audiences. So when you and I hear the promise of a promised land, a physical promised land, you and I should go, well, look, there's no reason why I should think that that's for me because that's written specifically to Israel. That's a Jewish promise. So I wouldn't assume that I'm going to get a physical promised land, but what I can do is go, okay, how does this apply to me? Well, guess what? There's a spiritual component, a spiritual component. We learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. Paul explains it to us how it works. He tells us, he says, look, when you go back and you read these stories in the Old Testament, this history back here, when you see through the Exodus and all that was going on, all the stuff through the wilderness and stuff like that, guess what? All of that is a picture for you to learn from. You're to learn from their mistakes. Learn what they did wrong. He talks about a rock, right? In that, when you go to 1 Corinthians, and he talks about a rock. Excuse me. When they were in the wilderness, there was a rock that Moses struck, and water came out of the rock. Now, when Paul goes back and references, now the cap, that rock is capitalized. And that rock is capitalized because later he explains, and he says, that rock is Jesus. So what he's saying is you're going to look at a physical picture, a real thing that took place, a real promise, and real things that took place for those people, but I want you to see it from a spiritual perspective and understand that I'm going to teach you something too. And see, it's very important that we understand this because if we don't, we can get ourselves into trouble. Understand that all Scripture is written for us, but not all Scripture is written to us. Okay? Give you an example. If my grandfather, let's say my grandfather was very wealthy. He wasn't, but let's just say that he was. And let's say he was super wealthy, and man, this dude was a genius. And my granddad was pretty smart. I didn't know him that well, but I'm assuming, let's just say he was. Just an absolute genius. He knew how to live life, and man, he just made amazing choices through life. Amazing father, amazing everything. And he writes me a letter. And man, that letter is loaded with just pearls of wisdom. I mean, it's just like bam, 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 everywhere. I mean, this thing's loaded. And you come to me, and you go, man, I am struggling. My life is off course. I just feel like I'm a mess. I have no idea even how to, 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 take, the next, to, take, the, to take the next step. And I say, dude, you know what? you got to read my granddad's letter. This thing is loaded with good stuff. And you go, great. And you take that letter, and you go back, and you're like, man, yes. Oh, yeah, 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 okay, okay. In a marriage, yeah, I got that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, you're making all kinds of notes. But then you get to the bottom of the letter, and it says, and by the way, son, I have left you $10 million. And you get through with the letter, and you're like, oh, my soul. Dude, where's our money? Ha, <laughs> ha, 10 million bucks. I can't believe it. That's amazing. And what would I say to you? <laughs> okay, that letter was certainly for you to learn from. Uh, but did you notice it wasn't your name? That letter was, was to me. The money's mine, right? And so what happens is we go back in the Old Testament, and if we don't pay attention to who it's written to, we'll start to go, that's me. That's my money. And that's a silly way of looking at it. But you know what? That's what people do. And so what we do is we go and we take the principle, not the promise. The principle, not the promise. There are books written specifically to the church. Guess what? You go from Romans to Philemon, boom, this is all church. But if you get in other places and you start applying yourself in there, you're going to find yourself in a mess. It's very important for us to recognize, listen, is it Old Testament? Old Testament is different. There is two testaments in the Bible, an old and a new. Why is there a new? Because guess what? The Bible says that a testament only becomes valid at the death of the testator, right? If you write a last will and testament and you leave me your truck, and tomorrow I roll up at your house and I get in your truck and I drive off, you're not going to go, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> you're going to be 911. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, the preacher just stole my truck. Yeah, 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 if you need to shoot him, do whatever you got to do. Right? Because it's not valid until you're dead. Right? 
But the day you die and I go get your truck, they're like, that's cool. Yeah, he left it to him. It's fine. And so what happens is the testament becomes valid at the death of the testator. So when Jesus died, guess what? We move into a new transition of time. Jesus actually called it a better testament. So there's things going in the Old Testament that, guess what? They don't apply to you and I. There was no indwelling Holy Spirit back then in the Old Testament. Guess what? The atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world had not been done. The church did not exist. What if it's we look in the Bible and we go, okay, well, what about this? And we start to apply something that's tribulation-oriented. Well, the tribulation is following the rapture. That's going to be a seven-day, seven-year period on the earth where there's going to be great tribulation and trials on the earth. The Bible calls it the day of Jacob's trouble. Jacob's name was turned into Israel, meaning that that seven-year period is about the Jews. It's not about us. If I go to Matthew 24, which is written about the tribulation and clearly delineated that way, and one of the verses that it says in Matthew 24, it says, He that will endure to the end shall be saved. Now, if you don't know that's tribulation and you apply that to church age, you know what you're going to think? I've got to endure to the end. I got to keep my salvation. That means every day I got to make sure that I don't make a mistake because if I do, I'm going to lose my salvation. No. The Bible says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of works, right? Not of works, right? It is the gift of God. Amen. Not of works. We don't work for it. We don't do something to maintain our salvation. Salvation is offered to us by way of faith and faith alone. The age of grace is not valid during the time of tribulation. So when something takes place, is extremely important when we go to the Word of God. This is why Paul made certain to tell Timothy this in 2 Timothy 2.15. He says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. Notice, study. People, we don't like that. A workman, yeesh, work, that needeth not to be, he says, that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That tells us that the Bible has divisions in it. And guess what? If you don't know what they are, he's warning us that you can wrongly divide it by saying that he's making certain he says here rightly divide. So we can see that it can be wrongly divided. And if we wrongly divide it without proper divisions, God, good intentioned people can find themselves teaching things that are not biblical. They can find themselves in false teaching, not because they're bad people, just because simply they're not applying a simple principle of Bible study. So this is why discipleship is important. This is why, man, why do we want you to be here on Wednesday nights? Because we address these kind of issues and we help you to understand these simple principles. So personally, we see it received here. The instructions, then the instructions of the promise. Number three, we see this. We see them fulfilling their responsibility. So they have heard their instructions They've personally received them. They've received the promises. They put their faith in those promises, and now they're going to take action. Verse number 9. And the men went and passed through the land and described it by cities into seven parts in a book and came again to Joshua to the host at Shiloh. So we see one thing uh, is to receive. It's one thing to receive a truth. It's one thing to receive it. It's one thing to believe it. And it's nothing even to know what the expectation is if you take those instructions. And it's another thing altogether to actually follow through with it and do it, okay? So give you an idea. We've all had things that we've wanted to change, okay? Let's say this. Let's imagine our diet, okay? How many of us have ever not had the best diet? Okay, how about maybe right now, <laughs> right? And we're going, man, you know what? I am changing things. I am not eating cake every day. No, I'm not going to do it. And those cookies, after today, those cookies are not going to be in this house, right? And so we have this mindset, we're going to change things. And we go online, man. 
Can we pull up all the instructions? Oh, yeah, look at that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So much so that we print them out. We post them on the fridge. Boom, there are the instructions. This is what I'm going to do. We even go online and we find success stories. We go and we watch testimonials of how great people are. Oh, man, you know what? My skin cleared up. I, I slept better. I had more energy. I had a whole new life. And we're like, man, amazing. I'm definitely going to do this. Amazing. I'm believing the promises. I've got the instructions. I know exactly what to do. But then we go, tomorrow. <laughs> Starting tomorrow. And then, not today, the next day. Today was a stressful day, obviously. <laughs> obviously not starting today, because I needed that piece of cake. So tomorrow I'm going to start. And eventually, those instructions that are hanging on the fridge just start to become white noise. We don't even see them anymore. And eventually other things start getting placed over them. And guess what? Though we knew what to do, Though we were motivated to do it, though I had belief in the promise of what was to come, if I don't take action, guess what? It's going to be the same story again, again, and again. And so we recognize this and we go, okay, the thing was, these men were taking on a daunting task. Recognize this, state, this place is still full of pagans, and there's 21 of them, 21 men against who knows how many are out there? And there's giants in the land, for goodness sakes. So these 21 guys are going to go marching off to do this job. And the thing is, because of God's faithfulness and their willingness to trust in him, listen, they safely return to Shiloh, it tells us. And what this explains or what this shows or what pictures for us is the fact that if God calls us to do something, if we'll faithfully do it, then guess what he will do? Not only help us to do it, but be successful at it. God says, listen, I've got a purpose and a plan. And if you'll do it my way, guess what? I will shield you. I will protect you. I will use you and do great and mighty things in your life. So these 20 men accomplish their goal. And this brings us back to a, uh, the, the principle that's being represented here. There's a physical representation in these 21 men of a spiritual truth that we need to hold on to. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 5-7 through 7 says this. It says, Now he that wroughteth hath wrought us for the selfsame thing as God, who also hath given to us, given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Saying, listen, you are sealed with the Spirit of God, the earnest of our, of our inheritance, who are sealed, our salvation is sealed. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So while I'm here, guess what? I'm not with the Lord. But what that also tells me is that when, I'm, when I leave this body, guess where I'm going to be? With the Lord. So the realization is the fact that I'm not to worry about so much the physical world. I'm supposed to worry about the spiritual world. So that's what it says. Verse 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. I don't worry about the circumstances of my life because I know in whom I have believed. And listen, I am sealed with the earnest of expectation. God has paid the price for my soul. And so our fate is guaranteed. That's locked in place by God, by the one that cannot lie. God has me in his hand. And as we heed his instructions, trust his promises, and take action on them, well, then our faithful Lord will do exactly what he promised. This is true today in 2023, but can I tell you, back in 1399 B.C., when Joshua was going through all this, 3,422 years ago, it was just as true. Because God does not change. 3,422 years is irrelevant to God. That's like a, the Bible says it's just three days, right? It's a very, very short period of time. Because you know why? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always consistent. And this brings us to the next thing, number four, receiving their inheritance. 
Verse 10 says this, And Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. Now, obviously, Joshua is casting lots for the entire tribes. He's not just doing it for these 21 men. But as we saw, notice the wording it says in verse 10, And Joshua cast lots for them. God is fulfilling his promise to the seven tribes while he is simultaneously fulfilling it to these 21 because of the fact that they simply did what they were supposed to do. And what happens is they have done their job. They divided the land without any kind of an agenda. They didn't have any kind of personal preference that they were applying to the, to the division because guess what? They did not know who was going to get what. So they wanted to make certain that it was fair so that if they end up receiving whatever plot of land, it would be, it would be right. And so what we see is they rightly divided the land. They did not allow their own desires to impact it. Because the reason why things get wrongly divided is because of selfish motivations, right? We all have a natural tendency to skew things to ourselves, right? Have you ever, like, not saying anybody would do this now, but let's say as a kid, you were the one that sliced up the pizza, right? And then you're going to bring the plates to the table. And there's a few pieces that are a little bigger than the other pieces. And you're putting together the plates. Who's getting the larger pieces? <laughs> right? You're like, oh, I must just put those like that. I'm going to spread these others out so they look a little bigger. Right? That's our nature. We are self-serving by nature. And so what happens is this, by the fact that they had no way to know what was coming, they didn't allow that to skew their division. It was rightly divided. And therefore, listen, they understood and, and recognized the fact that that Joshua put the things in place to circumvent uh, them doing this. He eliminated the probability of them having some kind of skewed view because what happened was they divided it all into their individual seven different parts. Then they brought those seven parts back. And then what happened is Joshua said he would cast lots and he would randomly decide who got what. That was the, the beautiful thing that he did. And this ensured the division of the land would have been fair and acceptable to all involved. The seven remaining tribes would be receiving exactly what God intended for them. For you see, the reason this is important is because it teaches another principle that's true for all of humanity, which is the fact that, guess what? God does not play favorites. Notice this in Acts 10, verse 34. It says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Listen, we're all equally accountable to God, whether we do right or whether we do wrong. No exceptions. Colossians 3.25 says this, But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. I don't care who you are, where you come from, what your background is, how rich you are, because guess what? If you have done wrong, you will face God, and you'll answer for it. The Lord does not play favorites, and he never has. Now, does this mean that everybody's life works out the same? No. Because we all have different paths. We'll all have different tracks that we're going to follow. Some of them easier and some of them harder. And people will go, well, you get the, well there you go. There's proof of God's, of God's favoritism. Your life was easier than my life. You, I had to go through all this and you didn't have to go through all that. Well, sir, there you go. He likes you better. That's not the way it works. But what you understand is God knows what we don't know. God knows what needs to come into our life in order for his name to be glorified. Some of us are hard-headed, right? Some of us, you know, there's some people that you could just give a little, and they're like, oh, okay, okay I, I, I'm good. And they'll correct their behavior. Other people, you're like, 
And they're like, yeah, maybe. And you're like, wow. <laughs> I mean, you got to blast them, man, before they'll listen. And so based upon who we are, God knows whether or not we need a pat on the back of the head or if we need a two-by-four to the skull, right? God knows what it's going to take because ultimately our story in the end, he knows what it's going to take in order for his name to be glorified. Sometimes it's through great travesty, pain, and tragedy. And sometimes it's through blessings. It depends on the individual. Because guess what? You and I are given free will to make our own choices. And sometimes to redirect us, God's got to do some pretty harsh things. But in the end, it's all about his name receiving glory. And this physical inheritance that these tribes are receiving is pictured for us, the spiritual inheritance, right, that we're to possess. What God wants us to experience, a place of fellowship with God, where his name is exalted, where, listen, Christians are sanctified unto him, and his will is being lived out on this earth. And the only way to know his will is to know his word, right? We must know his word in order to know his will, which brings us to our last point, which is God's will is accomplished. Verse 10 is this way. And there Joshua divided the land of the children of Israel according to their divisions. So as Joshua divides the land, he does so by allowing the Lord to determine which tribe will receive which parcel of land. He is not involved. By casting lots and trusting the Lord's guidance, Joshua is ensuring that it's not his will. He's ensuring that it's not the will of the seven tribes. No one has anything to say about the outcome. It is solely up to God. And listen, when you and I go to the world, go, go, to, to go to the Word, or when you and I go to God's face in prayer, and we're seeking the Lord, we are doing the same thing. Because you've got to realize that God is still in the guiding business. He's constantly working in our lives if we'll listen. Recognize the fact that He's working actively, not only in our lives, but through our circumstances to direct us. He's actively working in and through the lives of His people to accomplish His will. But see, then it comes down to this. It requires for you and I to have ears to hear. Okay? Ears to hear. Now that little phrase, ears to hear, shows up ten different times. Two times in the Old Testament and eight times in the New Testament. And all eight times that it shows up in the New Testament, it comes from the lips of Jesus Christ. He's sharing a spiritual truth that he's trying to set into someone's heart. He's trying to give them guidance, right? And as he gives this guidance, he's, he's saying, listen, he that hath hears to hear, let him hear. We see it three times in Matthew, three times in Mark, and two times in the book of Luke. So after sharing a spiritual truth intended to guide those listening, Jesus said to his audience specifically, he says this, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear, okay? He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. What this tells us is that this challenge from the lips of our Savior lets us know and points to the fact that there are some who don't. Some who are the audience of God's truth that do not have ears to hear, right? And so the question is this, where are we? So you might be here today and you go, yeah, I'm listening. I'm, I'm paying attention to the best of my ability. I am thinking about lunch a little bit, but not too much. I'm listening. See, but the question is, are we hearing? And see, that's the key. Because it's one thing to listen, and it's another to hear. When we hear something, that means that we're going to turn it into action, right? Because it's one thing. It's, if we go back to that same thing we were thinking about before, 
It's one thing to know what to do, but it's another thing to actually do it. So we can receive truth, we can hear, we can listen to it, but then the question is, do we, do we hear it? Again, it translates into action. Listen to James chapter 1, verses 22 through 26. And it says here in 22, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Okay? Listen to what he says. Be doers of the word. Don't get yourself caught up in the fact that just because you're hearing something, that that's somehow... Because recognize, knowledge does not make us godly. Application makes us godly. You can know what to do and not do it. He says, deceiving your own selves. What well, here is verse 23. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Okay? For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Okay, this is me waking up in the morning. And man, my hair is jacked up. I got smegma on my face. I mean, I'm a mess. I look terrible. And I walk into the bathroom and I look in the mirror. And I'm like, whoa, my golly. Yikes. Whew. And then my phone rings. And I lose sight of the fact that I was look like I look a mess. And next thing you know, I put my phone down, put on my clothes, put my phone in my pocket, and I go out. And I forget all about the fact that I look like a maniac. And I go to the store, and I'm buying stuff, and people are like, uh, are you okay? I'm like, what, 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 what's the problem? And I'm like, I'm, like I'm, I'm a mess. Because what happens is I looked at my natural face in the glass. I saw my reflection, but the problem was I didn't do anything about it. I just went right out into the world. So it says, but whoso looketh into the, it says, so verse, four, verse 24, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way out to the store, straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Verse 25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, looks into the word of God, right? God's word speaks to our hearts. We look at the reflection of ourselves in God's word, and it says, and continueth therein. He continues to look. He continues to learn. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. So this person hears from God, sees a reflection, does something about it, cleans themselves up, changes their behavior, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And he says, if any man, he says, if any man among you seem to be religious, boy, they look the part. They're dressed right. They sound right. They act right. Oh, they, they got everything going for them. And bridleth not his tongue. You spend time around people for a period of time, guess what? Their voice, their actions, the things that they say will reveal their heart. The Bible says, by their fruit she shall know them. And over a period of time, guess what? The reality of the fact that if we can't bridle our tongue, if the things we say are not godly, the things that spill out of us in reactions of emotion, guess what they do? They indicate our hearts. And when he says this, he says, but deceiveth his own heart. This guy's so religious by looking the part, dressing the part, acting the part, that even when this stuff spills out of his mouth, he doesn't even recognize it because he's so convinced that he's Mr. Righteous. And you know what it says at the end? This man's religion is vain. It has no worth. It's just a facade. And we have a world full of people that claim to be Christians that look the part at certain times. They may go to church on Sunday, but buddy, don't run into them on Monday. Don't wrong them at work. Don't say something negative to them. Don't judge them because you know what? They're going to come down on you like a flaming fire. But you know what the Bible says? We're supposed to love our enemies. We're supposed to give grace. We're supposed to be kind and loving. And so yet we have this opportunity to take God's word and let it speak to our hearts that it changes who we are. And then our reactions line up with God's word. What's being revealed here is the same truth we mentioned earlier. When we talk about changing our diet, and it's one thing again, 
to believe and understand what it is we should do. It's another thing to believe and trust in the results that we're going to get. But it's another thing altogether to actually follow through and do it. The seven tribes that are being rewarded right now are because there were 21 men that did what they were told to do. They took action based upon God's truth and they applied it. We saw these 21 men receive God's instructions. They believe God's promises. They fulfilled their responsibilities. By faith, they took action. And as they received their inheritance, which, which was, in the end, resulted in God's will being accomplished. And so we see a great example for us to follow through these 21 men, right? We see something we can go, man, I could do that. The question is, do we have ears to hear, right? Do we have ears to hear? Are we going to get up from this place and walk out and go, that was good, but it doesn't change who we are? Are we going to spend time in God's Word? And even though it speaks to us in the moment, close it up and walk away and be the same. Are we allowing the Lord to speak to us through His Word? And when He does, are we taking the time to make certain that we're rightly dividing His Word? Are we doing this through Bible study? Are we doing this through attendance on Wednesday nights? Are we doing this through, listen, discipleship? Because recognize the fact that God wants to make sure that we are, wants to be certain that we, are in, that we are making the right divisions. That's the whole purpose, that we understand and apply what it is God's trying to teach us. God has the answer to every question we could ever ask. It's recorded in his word. And so when we go to this, when he speaks to us out of it, the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we truly have ears to hear it? And see, the way you answer that question will be not through what you know, but through what you do. Our faith needs to be a living faith. It's one thing to know how to love one's enemy, and it's another altogether to do it. It's one thing to know how to forgive by principle, but buddy, application is tough. In the end, James 1.22 but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. And the last part he says, deceiving your own selves. Man, I don't want us to deceive ourselves thinking that we're something that we're not. If God's convicted you, if God's shown you something today or in his word, let it change you. Let it impact you. Let it direct your life. Because listen, God has a purpose and a plan for every single one of us. Our path through life has all been purposeful so that God can teach us something, break us down, maybe open our eyes to our own hypocrisy, but take our brokenness and one day be able to heal somebody else. It's incredible. And yet all of these things, all this truth, though we may know it, may we believe it, may even want to receive it, if we don't apply it, it doesn't work. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you, Father, for the things you've shown us uh, through this amazing example, these 21 men that were committed to do what you called them to do. Thank you for the example Joshua shows us. And thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness we see in them. And Lord, I do pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, as we all desire, I think I, think I can truthfully say that we all desire God to be who it is you called us to be. And we may not be right now. But Lord, I think we have a desire to be. And I do pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters, Lord, to help us, Lord, to surrender our selfish, uh, selfish will. God, help us 
to see ourselves in the light of Scripture, that we can understand who it is you've called us to be. And Lord, I do pray that you'd empower us, Father, to fulfill uh, the role that you've, you've given us in this world. God, each of our lives has a purpose that's so much greater, so much larger than, than what it is. It's not just about us. Lord, it's about what you can do through us. So I pray that you help us to get out of our own way. And God, you might do great and mighty things. With their heads bowed, with their eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, listen, I don't know necessarily where I stand with God. There are people that are listening to this message right now, maybe in this room, but maybe recorded or online. And they're saying, you know, I don't know where I stand with God. 22 years ago, someone asked me if I were to die today, if I knew for sure I'd go to heaven. And you know what I said? I hope so. I mean, I believe in God, I guess. But listen, it's not about just believing in God. The devil believes in God. But can I give you an assurance? The devil is not going to go to heaven. The Bible says that the demons tremble in the presence of God, meaning they have an emotional reaction and they know the Bible. And yet you can have read the Bible a thousand times over. You could have an emotional response to God. You can believe he exists and still not go to heaven. Because recognize it is nothing more than receiving the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's one thing to know God and to know about him. And it's another thing to have received him personally. It's a choice, a decision that we make. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise in scripture. And so if you're listening to this message and you say, listen, I don't know where I stand. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive that gift, the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you say, listen, I don't know where I stand with God, but you want to know, the wonderful news is that God's ready to save you right where you are. Not because you're anything special. God loves all of us the same. But you know what? He died on that cross for every one of us. And with you in mind, he suffered. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to lead you in prayer. Now, there is no magic in the prayer. It's not the words. They have no power. It's not a ceremony. This is a matter of the heart of a broken person calling out to a loving God that wants to restore them. And so all you're doing is surrendering to the pull you feel on your heart. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I am so sorry for my sin. I believe that you died on the cross with me in mind. That you paid the price for the sin debt that I owe. I'm asking you right now, by faith, to come into my heart to save my soul and to give me a home in heaven. By faith, I receive you as my Savior. And I pray that you help me to live for you. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Head still.